You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Wednesday, the 9th of September. And here's your quarantine tip of the day. If you're getting breakouts on the bottom of your face because of your mask, here's what you need to do. Take a second mask and put it on the top half of your face. Now at least your breakouts will have symmetry. Anyway, on tonight's show, Halloween is canceled. The sky is angry. And once again, Donald Trump has been caught on tape telling us who he really is. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's begin with the end. We want to take you now to a live shot of the Bay Area in San Francisco. Stop what you're doing and look at your screen. This just doesn't look real, but you've got wildfires burning in almost all sides, obviously, other than the ocean, and it creates this smoky orange haze that looks like dust or a movie on Mars or something. One local forecaster says that they're not expecting to see much blue sky in the Bay Area until Friday or probably the weekend. Sweet Lord, did you see that sky? All across the Bay Area, wildfires have turned the skies into an apocalyptic orange haze, which is freaking everyone out. And you know, it's not just the fact that the sky looks like gritty exploded in downtown San Francisco. What's freaking people out is that climate change has turned devastating wildfires into an annual event in California. And it's clear, humans have one of two choices. Either we do the hard work we need to reverse climate change, or in the next 10 years, Humans have to rapidly evolve our bitch-ass skin to be something that's a lot more fireproof. It's weird, though, because the sky is terrifying, but in a weird way, it's also really beautiful. And so I'm begging all of the Instagram models out there to please not rush out to get photos in front of that orange sky. I know how you people think. Hashtag no filter, hashtag suffocating, hashtag call 911. But let's move on from some bad news to some bad news. It's 2020, people. This is all we got. Right now, pharmaceutical companies around the world are racing to develop a vaccine for coronavirus that can save countless lives and give us the freedom to freely lick park benches once again. But one major vaccine trial has just hit a major snag. Breaking news overnight, a setback in the race for a coronavirus vaccine. Pharmaceutical giant AstraZeneca pausing phase three of its global trials because of an unexplained illness in one of its volunteers. The company now has to determine whether its vaccine might cause widespread adverse reactions. You see, this is why we need vaccine trials in the first place. Because right now, one person in that trial has an unexplained illness, possibly from the prototype vaccine. But you realize if they just release this thing to the public without proper testing, we could all be out in the streets with random diseases and mutations. I mean, on the bright side, maybe some of us would develop that fireproof skin, but, but still. Now, the scientists still don't know yet whether the illness is related to the vaccine trial or not. But I think I know what happened. I think what happened was coronavirus got to the vaccine and said, look, man, whatever the humans are paying you, I'll pay double. And now we gotta find a vaccine for the vaccine. Yeah, I read Facebook, I know what's going on. But let me just say that I'm incredibly grateful for all of these people who are injecting themselves with a vaccine without knowing whether it's safe because they're doing it for the rest of us. And in a way, I know how this feels. 
You know, it's the same way my family would make me drink the milk in the fridge to see whether or not it had gone bad. Spoiler alert, it was always bad. But until the vaccines are available, we just have to keep wearing masks and socially distancing as much as we can. Which is why in the UK, they've now decided that it's time for the British to party a little less hard. As Europe struggles with the surge in new coronavirus cases, the UK tightening restrictions. The government says social gatherings can include no more than six people instead of the previous 30 allowed. In England from Monday, we're introducing the rule of six. You must not meet socially in groups of more than six. And if you do, you will be breaking the law. Yes, starting Monday in the UK, no more than six people can socialize at a time. Six. That's a very specific number. It almost makes me think that Boris Johnson has a seventh friend that he's trying to kick out of the circle of friends. I don't understand, Boris. Why can't I hang out with the gang? Well, you, you see, there were already six of us here and, and scientists say that seven is COVID's favorite number. Well, what if I came early? Then I would just be the third person. Oh, no, you, you, you'll always be the seventh person no matter what time you arrive. But look, these restrictions are better late than never because man, those Brits can party hard. As someone who has spent quarantine binging all of the Great British Bake Off, I'm telling you now those people are out of control. They put cocaine on everything. Now, Corona isn't just canceling parties for the living because in Los Angeles, even ghosts and goblins are now being told to stay safe. No trick-or-treating. That's what health officials in Los Angeles County are saying this morning. The Department of Public Health there is saying door-to-door for candy is just too risky this Halloween. They say it poses a higher risk for spreading coronavirus. Halloween is still more than a month away, but the department is hoping that this will give people enough time to find other ways to celebrate the holiday. They're encouraging online parties and contests and maybe some drive-through activities. Oh, are you serious? Trick-or-treating is canceled? This is awful! So what, I'm gonna have to mail all the kids in my neighborhood razor blades? Oh! And I'm gonna be honest, guys, I don't know if this is gonna work. First of all, I don't think nine-year-olds should be driving. That's just me, okay? And secondly, no drive-through experience ever ends the way you want. Hi, I'd like a full-size Snickers, please. Okay, one bag of pennies, is that all? Uh, not pennies, candy bars. Okay, extra large bag of rusty old pennies. Pull up to the next window, please. In other news that's rocking LA, after years of hashtag Oscars so white, the Motion Picture Academy has announced a major rule change to hopefully make the Oscars hashtag so right. The Oscars are making inclusion a requirement for best picture consideration. Starting in 2024, those movies must meet diversity requirements in two out of four production categories, widening opportunities for underrepresented groups. They include women, minorities, and people with cognitive or physical disabilities. Promoters of the initiative say the changes will better reflect the diversity of the movie-going audience. So this is encompassing the totality of the people that actually work on a film. Oh, shit. From now on, movies can only be nominated for Best Picture if they meet certain diversity thresholds. Wherever Martin Scorsese is right now, he is shitting himself. He's probably calling DiCaprio, begging him to make a plan. Come on, kid, you sure you can't play black? You can do anything, I know you can. Personally, I think this opens up a bunch of opportunities. I hope that long-running franchises will just switch up the races of people and never address it. 
Like, how dope would it be if in the next Batman movie, he's just Jamaican? I and I be the Batman. Man. Wagwan. The Joker gonna get safe for that thing. What do you want safe for that? Jim can't do that. Now, you know what was funny, man, is as soon as this story came out, so many people read the headline and they just started panicking, bitching online. People were like, this is censorship. You can't force filmmakers to create whatever you want. I mean, how can you make a period piece with diversity? There were no black people back then. If you actually read the story before chiming in, people would have realized that in fact, these new standards, which only take effect in 2024, are not that strict. For instance, a movie qualifies if it has just one lead role from an underrepresented group and 30% of the crew from an underrepresented group as well, right? Or even if it has just 30% diversity in the marketing department or an internship program for an underrepresented group. And by the way, they define underrepresented groups as black, Asian, Hispanic, indigenous people, women, the disabled community, or members of the LGBTQ community. So in other words, it's super easy to meet this criteria. All right, we have to take a quick break, but stick around because when we come back, we'll catch up on all the latest Trump scandals. There's more than one, like in a day. Oh Lord, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Let's take a moment to talk about Donald Trump, president of the United States, and the main reason McDonald's signs say billions and billions served. There was some big, crazy Trump news today. And I know we say that every day, but this time it's true. I mean, it's true every day, but this time it's also true. And it starts with the president and his administration making a shocking legal maneuver. This morning, an unprecedented move by the Justice Department, stepping in to replace President Trump's private legal team to represent him in a high-profile defamation lawsuit. It means American taxpayers would foot the bill for the government defending the president in the suit by author E. Jean Carroll, who says the president raped her more than two decades ago in a dressing room at New York's Bergdorf Goodman's. The latest move protects the president from any potentially embarrassing disclosures. Justice Department lawyers argue that because the president was, quote, acting within the scope of his office at the time of his denial, he could be defended by government attorneys. Wow, wow, we wow. The Justice Department is now defending Trump in a defamation suit against one of his rape accusers, which means taxpayer dollars are paying for this. And you know that's gonna make a lot of people mad. Our taxes shouldn't be going to this. They should be used to fund schools, to build roads, and to drone weddings in Afghanistan. Oh, and in case you're wondering, yes, this is unprecedented for a president. But I can't say I'm surprised at this point because Trump has basically turned the government into his own personal concierge service. Like all the Department of Transportation does anymore is order Ubers for Trump. Hell, I wouldn't be surprised if the border wall turns out to be one side of Trump's new country house. Okay, now we need another wall and another one. Now let's throw in a roof and a pool and we'll finally be safe from Mexico. Now, the Justice Department's justification for defending Trump in this case is that when he said he didn't rape her because, quote, she wasn't his type, end quote, he did that as part of his official duties as president. And I know that sounds wild, but remember what it says in Article 2 of the Constitution. The president shall execute the laws, command the military, and vehemently deny boning anyone who's less than a 10. But hey, conservatives wanted someone to run the country like a business, 
And what's more corporate than a CEO using company resources to shut down sexual abuse accusations? You did it, guys. So once again, we have big, crazy news that in normal times would be all anyone talked about for a month. But because it's Trump, it's not even the only scandal that we have to talk about today. Now, you might remember back in February and March, Donald Trump was very confidently saying that the coronavirus was not a big deal and it was basically just like the flu. But since then, we've all learned that that was bullshit. Well, today it's come out that Trump privately knew that it was bullshit. Stunning breaking news. President Trump, in his own words, making clear he knew about the dire threat of the coronavirus very early on, at a time he repeatedly told the American people they were safe. He deliberately withheld information from the American people, repeatedly concealed details about the gravity of this threat because, in his words, he didn't want to create a panic. It's a very tricky situation. It's, uh, it, it, goes, it goes through air, Bob. That's always tougher than the touch. You know, the touch, you don't have to touch things, right? But the air, you just breathe the air. That's how it's uh, passed. Uh, it's also more deadly than your, you know, your, even your strenuous flus. This is five per, you know, this is 5% versus 1% and less than 1%. You know, so this is deadly stuff. I think, Bob, really, to be honest with you... Sure, I want you to I be. wanted to... Uh, I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. You didn't want to create a panic? You didn't want to create a panic? So what did you want? For people to very calmly be dying in the streets? <laughs> What's wrong, buddy? I'm dying. But it's chill. And also, since when is Donald J. Trump concerned about creating a panic? That is literally his favorite thing. Cities are burning, suburbs are collapsing, caravans of Antifa Mexicans are committing Muslim voter fraud. His campaign slogan is basically, look out behind you. But yes, thanks to audio tapes of interviews Trump did with Bob Woodward back in February and March, we now know that he was fully aware of how the virus was transmitted and how deadly it could be. And yet in public, he told everyone there was no reason to be afraid. And look, I get that as a leader, you don't want people to panic, but you also wanna inform the people so that they can be safe. You know, if a plane is crashing, a pilot will tell you to remain calm, but they'll also tell you to fasten your seatbelt and brace for impact. If Trump was a pilot, he'd be like, attention all passengers, everything's fine. Seatbelts are for snowflakes. And if you want to stretch your legs, now's the perfect time. Bye-bye. And this is really confusing because at first, I thought Trump was too stupid to understand what was going on with the virus. But it turns out that he was actually smart about it in private. But he's also stupid enough to tell Bob Woodward on tape. Huh, now I don't know what to think. And Trump aside, Am I the only one who thinks it's crazy that people keep releasing books where they reveal that they've known the most incriminating things about Trump, but they only tell us about it now? I mean, imagine if Paul Revere had this attitude. Are the British coming? Find out by pre-ordering my book on Amazon. So, Trump purposefully obscuring the threat of COVID-19 was the major revelation that took over the news today. But remember, Bob Woodward interviewed Trump 18 times for this book. And he recorded Trump on tape talking about plenty of other subjects too, like racism. And believe it or not, 
It turns out that in private, Trump is a lot more aware of racism than he acts like in real life. I got it. Do you think there is systematic or institutional racism in this country? Well, I think there is everywhere. I think probably less here than most places or less here than many places. Okay, but is it here in a way that it has an impact on people's lives? I think it is, and it's unfortunate, but I think it is. Whoa. Somebody finally got around to watching Get Out. It really is interesting how private Trump seems to know a lot more than public Trump. I mean, this whole time, I thought there were gonna be secret tapes of Trump saying the N-word. Instead, we got secret tapes of him being an epidemiologist with a PhD in critical race theory. And you might be thinking, oh, but this is good news, Trevor. It means that Trump isn't as dumb as we thought. No, this is terrible news. Because you know what it shows? It shows you that Donald Trump is willfully misleading the public. It reminds you that he's a con man. He lies about coronavirus to protect his economy and his reelection. And he ignores systemic racism because he knows it exists, but he does it to protect his image with his base. And then when all the bad stories pile up, what does he do? He tries to drown them out with some crazy news announcement, like him saying that he's gonna appoint Ted Cruz to the Supreme Court, which to be honest, just sounds like a threat to the Supreme Court. So once again, we're reminded today that Donald Trump doesn't care about America. He cares about himself. He cares about his money, and he cares about two-fifths of his family. And that's it. All right, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we will talk to the woman who invented gender reveals. That's right, invented them. And now, she's coming back for revenge. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. So yesterday, we talked about how one of the biggest California wildfires was started by an explosion set off as part of a gender reveal party. And obviously, we're all asking the same question. Was it a boy or a girl? But also, how did gender reveal parties become a thing? And why are they still a thing? Well, Desi Lydic found out. Gender reveal parties. They started out as innocent gatherings to share the blissful joy or horrible disappointment of finding out the assigned gender of your unborn child. But now, they've turned into this. And this reveal of a baby boy sent passengers scrambling to safety. Far as fire officials are now confirming, was started by a gender reveal gone wrong. Uh, almost like a grenade that went off and exploded and caused this fire. So I met with Jenna Carvanitas, the blogger who threw the very first gender reveal party back in 2008. So what was your grand reveal? Do you have skydivers come down and light pink and blue dynamite? You have a big uh, uh, fireworks production. How many gators did you have? We had a cake. You had a cake. Did you have a stripper pop out of the cake and start a wildfire? No. Can I, can I see a picture of the cake? That's the cake that started this whole trend. A very simple cake. Look, I love a good party, especially ones I'm not invited to, but these baby ones were getting out of hand. I think it is time for you to come out and publicly disavow gender reveal parties. Oh, I've definitely already said that, and people should definitely stop doing that. Oh, you said that? All right. Well, that's good. I'm glad I got through to you. Oh, I've publicly disavowed gender reveal parties for quite some time now, about a year. I've been campaigning against them. 
So you technically invented the gender reveal party, but you do not condone gender reveal parties. That is absolutely true. I didn't call it a gender reveal party. I actually called it a peep show. Cake and a peep show, huh? That's how we ended up with my son. So what happened to change your mind? Somebody on Twitter was looking for the source of the gender reveal party. And one of my old social media followers tagged me into the conversation. And I was like, well, it's kind of funny that this is even coming about because we um, had our family picture taken recently. And there's my daughter. She likes to wear a tuxedo. It's like kind of ironic. And people were like astonished. And it became a story and it became an opportunity for me to really speak out. Yes, the first baby to be gender revealed is in fact not eager to be defined by gender. I think the parties, um, they're physically harmful for uh, many of obvious reasons, you know, blowing up the forestry and burning down things at the parties, but they're also very socially harmful. Well, yeah, I mean, they're boring as shit. No alcohol, cheesy games. No, I mean, socially with the people in our society for transgender and non-binary people who don't fit on the spectrum, um, these parties can be really harmful to them. Yeah, that, I mean, that's more important than the fact that they're just boring. And even heteronormative people really um, are harmed and incensed by this idea of if it's, you know, an explosion with the tractors or whatever, it's a boy. And then the girls are on the opposite spectrum and everything has to be pink and tutu. I'm sorry, my son just came in. He heard tutu and he came running in. I'm trying to find... Oh, I'm sorry. My son is looking for his superhero toy. So, but you like dolls and stuff too, right? No, we're not that heteronormative around here. You like dolls and um, playing dress up. You like pink stuff. Pink, pink is his favorite color. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's yes, it is. It's not. Pink is your favorite color. It's pink not. is totally his favorite color. No, it's not. It's not. I totally agree with what you're saying. But how did these gender reveal parties evolve from cake eating to mass destruction? I think a lot of the people out there are searching for likes on the internet and it has caused a lot of problems. Yeah, exactly. Who cares about likes? I don't care about Instagram likes or the fact that Wolf Blitzer blocked me from Insta stalking him. Uh, yeah, and um, the ultimate truth is it doesn't matter. And what really matters is how you feel about yourself, how your family feels about you, how your community feels about you. So when you start a forest fire, you are really acting against that goal. Jenna, what would you say to the people who insist on continuing to throw these parties? Be a little bit more responsible with the parties. Um, throw a different type of party. Like, yeah, what's the baby's name? That's, you know, so much more possibilities with that than whether or not it has a penis. That's a great idea. You should absolutely throw a party and reveal what the child's name is going to be so that all your family and friends can sit around and judge the name you've picked and tell you stories about all the assholes that they knew with your kid's name. That happens. How was I supposed to know that Taint would be a bad name for my kid? <laughs> Taint, get out. Mommy. Taint, mommy needs some quiet time. I hate pink! Thank you so much for that, Desi. When we come back, I'll be talking to the legendary actor and activist, Jane Fonda. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. So earlier today, I had the honor of speaking with the one and only Jane Fonda about her new book on climate activism and what it takes to be a protester fighting for what's right. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, 
some know you as an Oscar winner. Some know you as an Emmy winner. You know, through the years, you've been given every title from sex symbol to rebel uh, to political organizer. And you've been causing what John Lewis would call good trouble for the good part of 50 years. Fighting for climate change is deep inside your bones. In fact, now you've moved to Washington, D.C. to basically get arrested repeatedly to try and get more action on climate change. I would love to know, in all the years that you've been fighting, have you seen any progress or have you seen a change that inspires you to keep on fighting? I see change all the time. I see all the way back starting in the beginning of the 70s when I first became an activist, um, people changing, mostly women. I think women tend to change more than men. Women who had been very shy, uh, scared to talk in public housewives, who when there was an emergency, when their children were in danger, became these fiery warriors, overcame their shyness and fought and won for their community. That's the kind of change I've seen over the 60 years that I've been an activist. And so I don't, I don't get cynical or, or discouraged. I'm, I'm really encouraged by people's ability to change. Your book is entitled, What Can I Do? And it's about climate change, but what I found interesting about it is you also talk about protest. You talk about challenging the status quo. You talk about fighting, uh, you know, for equality and for justice. And what I really was intrigued by was how you talk about the, the, the way you've seen it for so long. You said you saw it first as a sprint, and then you saw it as a marathon, and now you've started to see it as more of a relay race from generation to generation. What exactly does that mean? Well, what really got me to move to D.C. were the young climate strikers, Greta Thunberg and all the other. There were mil millions of them. It was the biggest global demonstration in human history, I think. Um, about a year ago, it actually is when it took place. And I've met a lot of them since then. And I see how they're carrying grief, they're mourning about what's been lost and what they know will be lost, even if we start doing everything right because of, of all the heat that's been baked in. Um, and they were saying, look, we didn't cause this. We're fighting for our futures. Where are the grown-ups? Where are the adults? And I realized it's kind of a reverse logic that they were passing a baton to older people to join them. And then we, in turn, are passing it back to, to young people. I mean, I'll be dead before the problem is solved, but um, I want to pass it to young people. I mean, you, you've been through it all, from the Nixon administration tapping your calls and from the intelligence agencies basically trying to sabotage you and, you know, get you on trumped-up drug charges. People have tried to silence you for a very long time. This is something that's not dissimilar to what happens to some people today, is that in their protest, you know, the, the people try to silence them. They try and stop them from speaking the truth and, 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 and speaking truth to power. Um, you, you, you have fought in a relentless way, but I wonder if you've learned any tips and tricks on how to fight effectively in terms of advocating for change. Don't get impatient. Keep talking, talking about it, like talk about the climate change. We have to keep talking about it. If we don't talk about it, we're not gonna care about it. If we don't care about it, we're not gonna do anything about it. So we have to talk about it, you know, at family dinners with our uncle who doesn't believe in it. We have to listen to people, find out what they care about, and then pitch 
what we want to say to them according to what they care about. You know, if they care about their grandchildren, we want to have a future for our grandchildren. If they care about birds, almost 3 billion fewer birds in North America since 1970. I mean, that's just, that's astonishing that that many birds have disappeared. Um, or it can simply be the, the extreme weather events that are whatever people care about. That's what you should focus on. Don't write anyone off, you know, be open, especially to people who don't agree with you. The social scientists have studied this and they say, this is really good news. You only need three and a half percent of people to win. And that's 11 and a half million people in the United States. We can do this. You talk about how everyday people can make a difference. I know that governments need to do something. We know that corporations can do a lot, but everyday people sometimes feel powerless. You know, someone will go like, okay, I don't use straws, but it seems like there's still tons of plastic out there. I may not use single use packaging, but there's still tons of trash going out there. Do you really think that there's something that we as individuals can do to change the levels of pollution in the world? Absolutely. We can stop being individuals and join with others so that the individual becomes the group. You know, the, the powers that be, the, the American oligarchs, basically, they don't want us to realize that there's strength in numbers. They want us to be individualists because that helps them because we're powerless as individuals. But if we join organizations and work with other individuals, um, we, we can make the changes happen. We can't rely on government. We have to force government to do what's right. That's why I keep doing Fire Drill Fridays. It's why I wrote the book. I want people to take the next step. You know, for 40 years, we've, we've pleaded and we've petitioned and we've lobbied and we've marched, we've protested and we've used all the levers of democracy and we haven't been heard. So now we have to, civil dis good trouble, civil disobedience. You've been arrested more than, than most people I, I can think of. And uh, you've, become, you've become somewhat of a hero online because people say, this is how you use your privilege correctly. Have you gotten comfortable being arrested? Like, do you just have like, is this like a thing where you go like, oh, just another day for me? It, it doesn't get you at all now? Well, you know, first of all, I'm white. So I'm white and I'm famous and I have a hit TV series behind me. And uh, so I'm not gonna be treated the way you would. Well, I mean, you're famous, so maybe you wouldn't be treated the way you know, some black kid on the block would be treated. I mean, it's, I can't pretend that my experience is the same as it would be for a person of color. Then I've been arrested before and it was not so good. It was under orders of Richard Nixon and it was not good. Um, I wasn't treated so well. Um, this time I was choosing to be arrested. I was engaging in civil disobedience. And so even though you're really giving up your power, you can't, you're, you can't control anything anymore. You're in the control of the police, but you're putting your whole body in alignment with your values and it's so empowering. It's like stepping into empowerment, into wholeness. And as I would look around and see the other people getting arrested, I could see they all felt the same thing. Building community, being part of a group of people that are fighting together is joyful. What advice would you give to the next Jane Fonda, a young, aspiring human being who says, I want to fight for all the things I believe in, but I may be afraid and I may not be treated well when the police encounter me. What advice would you give to them? 
Yeah, it's the same as I said before, don't be alone. We're so vulnerable when we're alone. Be part of a movement. That's where the joy comes from, and that's where your safety comes from, if you're embedded in a movement. Well, I think there are no final words to end uh, an interview on. Jane Fonda, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for everything you've done throughout your life, and uh, thank you for joining us on the Daily Social Distancing Show. (laughs) This is the book. I hope people get it. It's really good. It's very useful. It's a, it's a fantastic guide on how to get into good trouble and uh, fight for causes that you believe in. So thank you very much. I appreciate you having me, thanks. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, I just wanted to remind you that there are less than two months until the election, 55 days to be exact. And America is facing a nationwide poll worker shortage. Coronavirus is still out there and most poll workers are over 60. So understandably, they are not showing up. But fewer poll workers means fewer polling stations are open, and it means longer lines that not everybody can afford to stay and wait in, especially in poorer communities. The good news is, though, poll working is paid, and in some states, you can be as young as 16 to do it. So if you're interested and you have the time, this is your chance to make some money, protect democracy, and save your granny at the same time. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, if Bob Woodward is interviewing you, lie. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 